start back there. Just give them a moment. You ready? All right. Then the other presentation just pop up there. Cool. All right. Again, there's papers up here, but we're going to continue on with our Grinch series. Are you the Grinch? And we're going to try to avoid being the Grinch and stealing our own Christmas. So as it depends on us tonight. And uh, tonight we're going to talk about overcoming cynicism. Overcoming cynicism. Cynicism is an attitude of scornful or jaded negativity. Especially a general distrust of the integrity or professed motives of others. The Oxford English Dictionary describes a cynic as a person disposed to rail or find fault, and one who shows a disposition to disbelieve in the sincerity or goodness of human motives and actions, and tends to express this by sneers and sarcasm. Sounds like the Grinch, right? In short, a cynic is a sneering fault finder. They critique and distrust everything around them. Unfortunately, there's a little bit of cynic in all of us, so don't think that you're uh, being targeted tonight if you're feeling especially convicted, because uh, this is something we all have to resist because of life. And uh, our easy excuse for being a cynic is often, I'm a realist, right? I'm just a realist. I just see things as they are. That's our excuse for being a cynic. One cynic gave this definition on his website. A cynic is an idealist whose rose-colored glasses have been removed, snapped in two, and stomped into the ground, immediately improving his vision. The only cure for cynicism is wonder. Wonder. Wonder is a sense of innocent awe, fascinating astonishment, or excited admiration. Because that's the opposite of cynicism, right? Being innocently awful of something, being fascinated with astonishment. Or being excited with admiration. And we see this most often in the face and the heart of children who have not yet been jaded by life. Right? One elementary school teacher in Atlanta asked her pupils to write down their favorite Christmas carols. Here are some of the answers that she received. I'll try to sing some of these in tune. Deck the halls with Buddy Holly. Some of you don't even know who Buddy Holly is, but he was a uh, music artist in the past. We three kings of porridge and tar. Later on we'll perspire as we dream by the fire. That one actually kind of makes sense, doesn't it? If the fire is warm enough, it's easy to perspire. 
He's making a list. Chicken and rice. Uh, number five is with the jelly toast proclaim. Instead of with angelic host, with the jelly toast proclaim. It sounds pretty similar. Oh, what fun it is to ride one horse, soap and hay. Noel, Noel, Barney's the king of Israel. <laughs> and finally, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, you'll go down in Listerine. Children see things differently. That's the point of that. Children see things differently and they just, however they hear it or they see it, perceive it, it's a little bit different than adults because they often have less experience and they just automatically are in awe of things. I'm, we drive down the road and uh, hope is in one of those stages where everything is like a massive discovery. Like we're going by a semi-truck yesterday. Big truck! Big truck! Big truck, Daddy! Yeah, it's, it's a semi. Adults were like, uh, it's a truck, right? She's back there like about to come out of her seatbelt because there's a, a semi next to us. If only we could enjoy life that way each day. Mark 10 and 13 through 15. Mark 10, 13 through 15 and they brought young children to him that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. In Matthew eighteen two through 4 says, And Jesus called a little child unto him, and set him in the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It's not good for Christians to be childish. That's your blank there. It's bad for Christians to be childish, but it's good for them to be childlike. Okay, it's bad to be childish, but it's good to be childlike. We should always be in a state of innocent awe, fascinated astonishment, and excited admiration at what God has done for us. Again, if with children in there, if they have a healthy relationship with their parents, sometimes their parents can do the most simple task and the child acts like they just walked on the moon. Right? It's just like amazing and they think that your parents can do anything. Or they tell you, man, you know everything. No, <laughs> I don't even come close to knowing everything, but 
there's just some a conversation Charity and I had earlier today. She asked me a question, and I gave her an answer. And she's like, man, you know everything, Daddy. No. I have a lot of things to learn, but the Lord will help us as we ask Him. But just the fact that she would think that I know everything, and that's the way that we need to be about our Heavenly Father, but the difference is He actually does know everything, right? <laughs> he actually can beat up every bully in the world. <laughs> he actually is better than Superman. So we should be childlike in our approach to our Heavenly Father. And if He says something, He's going to do it. And that's one of the reasons why, it's very unfortunate, but the reason why many children in our current time in society are so jaded beyond their years is because they've been let down by family members. I'll be there and they're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting and they never show up and become people become jaded but with God he always comes through he he's always there and we have the the understanding that even just like with a natural parent that really genuinely loves us even if he doesn't do what we ask him to do that's because it's better for him not to do it at that time so we can trust him Matthew 21:15 through 16 says when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying in the temple and saying hosanna to the son of david they were sore displeased they saw the children crying in the temple but the children weren't crying like they were upset it means they were crying out hosanna to the son of david And as a result, they, they said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus saith unto them, Yea, have ye never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? What is our reaction when we see, quote unquote, younger Christians worshiping the Lord? And this doesn't necessarily mean age-wise, but someone who has just been born into the body of Jesus Christ. Someone who's young in the Lord, may not necessarily be chronologically young, but in the Lord, are we pleased or do we scoff? Should be pleased. That's right. It should excite us and it should remind us that we need to have that same awe because it's easy to get familiar, right? It's easy to come into church and forget why we're really here. Because of the grind of life and just sometimes we just need to rediscover that foundational purpose for coming into the house of God is to fellowship with God. That's what it's all about. And so when we walk in those doors, that fresh awe that God is going to meet me here today. He's going to touch my heart. He's going to give me the strength I need to keep going. He's going to give me peace. He's going to give me joy. Cynics are apathetic. They're bored. They're disenchanted. They're indifferent. Jaded, lukewarm, and nonchalant. And again, all of us have these symptoms at times. They're unconcerned, unexcited, uninterested, uninvolved, and unmoved. There's nothing worse than a Christian cynic. 
who should know better, right? We come to the house of God and the enemy can convince us we're not going to get what we've come for, so why even try? Our prayers are muted because we give up hope that anything is being accomplished because we're not seeing the results we want to see immediately. But we can't get that way. Trust me, I, I can get that way, and I, and, I, and I need to repent of that. We all need to understand that when we pray, things happen. But have you ever, on the contrary, met someone who is a child at heart? Some people, again, feeling completely justified, probably convicted, but justified in their labeling these people as naive. The only reason you can be so happy is because you're naive. You don't understand what's going on in the world or you wouldn't be happy. You wouldn't be bouncing around like Tigger all day if you weren't naive. <laughs> or you're just simple-minded. <laughs> you don't understand what's going on in the world. Just because they're, they're playful every day. And they, everybody has their ups and downs. But you find those special people sometimes who have that childlike innocence and approach to life that we're just going to enjoy this day that God has made. And that it's isn't it refreshing to be around those people? Unless we're in a bad mood sometimes, right? <laughs> then they can challenge us or even annoy us. Right? Just quit bouncing. <laughs> I'm just trying to be mad over here. Let me be angry and I'll be over in a while. Go somewhere else. Proverbs 17.22, and I believe this is the good news version, says, Being cheerful keeps you healthy. It is a slow death to be gloomy all the time. That's pretty pointed. <laughs> and you think about it, how much less headaches, how much less do we feel like we're just carrying around the weight of the world when we're cheerful we choose to trust the Lord with a childlike faith. Everything's going to be okay. You don't yawn when you're standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon. Because you get an adrenaline rush. And that's the way it should be with living for God every day of our lives. Not every single day is going to be an amazing miracle day. But we should have the excitement that may be. Who knows what God is going to do today if I'll give my life to Him? If I'll follow His Spirit's leading, who knows where He'll lead me? Like the healing of the lame man at the gate of the temple. He was filled with wonder and amazement at what God had done in his life. And he went walking and leaping and praising God. And not only him, but I'm sure that others were amazed that day at what God had done. And for Peter, it was probably just a regular day until that. He was just on his way to the temple to pray. And the same man he had passed many times, the Lord spoke to him and said, Today is the day for that man to be walking. We have to have a sense of awe and excitement 
about our day. Acts 3.10. Acts 3.10 says, And they knew that it was he which sat at uh, the gate for alms, at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. They were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. Well, obviously, in living for God, we again, not every service is going to be some incredible miracle. Not every day is going to be that way. Just like in real life relationships, uh, not every day is a, a romance novel cover day. It's not Fabio every day. Coming on the white horse with his hair blowing in the wind. It's Fabio. But all I can think about with Fabio is romance novels and I can't believe it's not butter. Those are two things with Fabio. But they have I can't believe it's not butter spray, which I can believe it's not butter if you had to spray it on something. Anyways, I'm digressing a little bit, but... But we need to uh, be able to have the wonder and excitement that every service could, there could be miracles that could happen. And we want to pray and seek for those things, not just because we need a sign to live for Him. We're going to live for Him no matter what. But the awe and the wonder helps those who are unbelievers to understand that He is alive and He is well. So when we come to church, let's come expecting. Because... The reason why God couldn't do great miracles in Nazareth was because they were a bunch of cynics. They were just finding fault in who Jesus was and his parents and just this normal guy. They had no awe or wonder or expectation. Three things we want to look at tonight about God's love. Number one, God's love is not earned. God's love is not earned. And that's not an earn with the ashes in it. It's not earned. Have you ever watched kids perform in a Christmas concert? It's going to happen here in a couple weeks, I believe. They sing off key. They sing the wrong words. They sing too loud. Or some of them just sit there and don't sing at all. Some stand up. Some sit down. Some wiggle all around. They wander around the stage. They pinch the kid next to them. They engage in embarrassing social habits. Digging for gold. (laughs) Green coal. (laughs) They don't follow the script. They don't know their lines. They hold their props upside down. They laugh. They point at each other. They cry. They leave when they're not supposed to. And at the end, everybody claps. Everybody gives a rousing applause. Why? Because they're kids. There are kids. We know... And love them anyways. They don't have to be that good. We're going to love them. And be proud of them. For getting up there and trying. 
We don't expect them to perform to earn our love. And it's the same way in our approach to the Lord. Again, the motivation, it doesn't mean we don't try to please Him. But our attitude in doing it is not to earn it. It's an understanding He loves me and I want to return my love for Him with obedience. And doing what He is pleased with. Not to earn His love, but to respond to His love. That seems subtle, but it's important. Because it, it totally transforms all of our motivation when we're doing it out of response to His love rather than a response to earn His love. It's impossible to earn it. But if we love Him, we do keep His commandments. Obviously, that's the balance. I'm not saying, well, He just loves me no matter what I do, so I shouldn't try. No, that you don't love Him then. If you love Him, you'll strive to keep His commandments. But your motivation's different. It's not like the Pharisee who did it just because it was a religious thing to do and they're trying to get their get-out-of-hell-free card. They do it because He died for me, so He loves me so much I need to love Him as well. Matthew 3.13 says, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan and to John to be baptized of Him. But John forbade him, saying, I need to be baptized of thee. And comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him, and Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son. In whom I am well pleased. And we understand that Jesus was different than us, and that he is he was born literally born of the Spirit of God. He was literally man in God, God dwelling in man. But those words, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, apply to all of his children. It's a little di- different situation. Obviously, like I said, we're not God in the flesh. But at the same time, if we are born into his, to become his children, the Bible says we receive the spirit of adoption, he is well pleased with us. He loves us. It's his attitude towards us. This is my son, this is my daughter, in whom I am well pleased. But I haven't accomplished anything for God yet. I can't contribute much. I don't have many abilities or talents. And I still have struggles, you might say. Go back to the children on the stage and their performance. You love them for doing their best, even if it's pretty horrible. Right? Now the adult choir gets up there. We're not going to clap if they're picking their nose. Right? We're not going to clap. They're all way off key and they're all different. Our expectations are different because they're more mature. Right? So God deals with us based on where we're at in Him currently and the direction we're moving. 
He's not pleased with us for being perfect. He's pleased with us for doing the best we can where we're at and continuing to submit to Him and grow in Him. And besides, when we repent of our sins, we give them to Him afresh and anew, He doesn't have any knowledge of them anymore. So we look in the mirror and we see failure, 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 and He sees nothing. He sees clean, white, blameless, holy, unblameable, unreprovable in His sight. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And so we, don't, we can't earn our salvation by works, but by surrendering, surrendering to him, by submitting to his love, by obeying his word, he saves us. Again, it seems subtly different, but it's entirely different. We can't claim salvation because we obeyed him to be baptized in Jesus' name. We can't boast in that because if he didn't honor the baptism, we wouldn't be saved, right? We'd just be getting wet. So he gets the glory because when we, we go down in water in Jesus' name, it's his spirit that cleanses us. It's his blood that is applied to us. So we can't boast about it. We can't say, oh, I earned this. No. We just responded to the opportunity that He provided. And we have to respond, but we can't claim credit. Does that make sense? It's about a motivation. It's about understanding. It's not an excuse to not obey Scripture, but we can't earn His love. It's impossible. He loves us. 2 Corinthians 2.14 Now thanks be unto God which always causes us to triumph in Christ makes manifest the Savior of His knowledge by us in every place. Colossians 2.15 Having spoiled principalities and powers He made a show of them openly triumphing over them in it. During the Roman triumphant march people celebrated the military success of a general the spoils of battle were paraded in the streets. And as the enemy captives marched in humiliation and defeat, the general's sons walked behind him in a place of honor. So you get the picture of this procession of military might. They overcame, they won the battle. The enemy is marching in, in captivity and humiliation. And here comes the general who fought the battle. And behind him are his sons marching and receiving honor and they did not fight in the battle but they get to partake in the victory and that's the picture of the Lord fought the battle and his sons and daughters get to join in the triumphant march even though we didn't go to the cross right but when we received his spirit we became sons and daughters and we get to march in the victory just like the generals in Rome and their children. Romans eight fifteen through 16, you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Amen. Once you receive the Holy Ghost, no one can convince you 
you're not the child of God. Because there's a witness in your spirit. Salvation is a gift to be received, not a goal to be achieved. So again, is something to fill in the blank there. Salvation is a gift to be received and not a goal to be achieved. Again, that clock is covered up. I think it says 8.20, so... Try to move a little quicker through these last two. I know number three is going to be real quick. Salvation is a gift to be received and not a goal to be achieved. Okay? Again, that doesn't give us an excuse to not obey. Our faith is demonstrated by our obedience and our, our response, our works, if you will. We're not saved by good works, but we are saved unto good works. The grace of God leads us to repentance and a changed life. Number two, God's love is not fair. God's love is not fair. I had a fifth grade teacher who was a a military veteran and he had some shrapnel in his back that would cause him pain when the weather would get cold and one of his favorite sayings was when one of us whiny little fifth graders said that's not fair Mr. Cook he would say the only place you're going to find fair is in the dictionary it's not going to be you're not going to find fair in life and it was true it's the only place to find fair is the dictionary God's love isn't even God's love isn't fair we complain, it's not fair, God, it's not fair. But we wouldn't want it to be fair. We wouldn't want to receive what was fair. <laughs> right? <laughs> we wouldn't want that. Thankfully, God's love is not fair. We wouldn't be saved if it was fair. Maureen Hawkins expresses a mother's true feelings when she said, Before you were conceived, I wanted you. Before you were born, I loved you. Before you were an hour old, I would have died for you. This is the miracle of life. And think about it. God's love is even deeper. God's love is expressed through that. I believe that God gives mothers a special measure of love for their children that demonstrates His love for us. But as much as a mother would love a child, God loves us even more. Romans 5, 6-8, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure, for a good man, some would even dare to die. Most people wouldn't even die for a good person, is what all this is saying. But God commanded His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, He died for us. He died for us before we made one step toward Him. Before we, we spoke one word of love in return for His love, He died. Matthew 20 and 8 through 16. The message version says, When the day's work was over, 
The owner of the vineyard instructed his foreman, Call the workers in and pay them their wages. Start with the last hired and go on to the first. Those hired at five o'clock came up and were each given a dollar. When those that were hired at first saw that, they assumed they would get far more because they worked all day, right? But they got the same, each of them, one dollar. Taking the dollar, they angrily went to the manager. These last workers put in only one easy hour and you made them equal to us who slaved all day under scorching sun. He replied to the one speaking for the rest, Friend, I haven't been unfair. We agreed on the wage of a dollar, didn't we? So take it and go. I decided to give to the one who came last the same as you. Can't I do what I want with my own money? Are you going to get stingy because I am generous? Here it is again, the great reversal. Many of the first ending up last and the last first. But that's not fair for them to get paid the same. When one worked an hour, the other worked all day. It's not fair. But only when we're cynical do we worry about other people getting blessed. I've lived for God all these years and he never gave that to me. He didn't, he didn't give me this gift. He didn't give me that gift. He didn't bless me with this card. He didn't bless me with that house. They've just been living for him for six months. What's up? He's the one who owns the cattle on Thousand Hills, not me. He can do with his money what he wants. And as long as his kingdom is being blessed... Just be thankful. And I'm sure those ones that came in at the last hour, even though they only worked an hour, it helped the ones that worked all day have less work because there's more people working. So it did help them. They were just upset they got the same amount of money. And you remember the story about the prodigal son, how he squandered his inheritance and immoral living. And that was a famous story, actually, in, in the days that the Lord told it. Only when the rabbis told it, the ending was different. The prodigal son arrived home and found out he was no longer welcome. This was the version before Jesus gave his version. The prodigal son wasn't welcome anymore. Father rejected him. Some versions said the father died. Some said the estate had been sold. There were dozens of variations, but they always had the same theme, teaching rebellious sons a lesson. You can't leave and come back and get a blessing. But Jesus changed that. His version was so controversial that theologians still debate what it means. <laughs> Think about it. The son's return has nothing to do with missing his family. He was being selfish. He just got hungry. He didn't come to himself and say, man, I really wish my dad, miss I could see, see my dad right now, my brother. He's like, I'm eating with a bunch of pigs and the servants back home are eating better than me. What am I doing here? He was still being selfish. 
But when he came home, his father was waiting for him. Not to condemn him, not to rebuke him, not to put his face in the ground and make him grovel before him. Before he even got a word of apology out of his mouth, his father was hugging him and yelling for the servants to get the fatted calf, to get a change of clothing, to restore him. I'm sure just as much as it surprised everyone in the house, it surprised the son. I didn't expect this from dad. (laughs) I didn't expect this at all. And if his dad would have responded with punishment, the son would have understood, I'm sure. But his love for his father would not have been nearly the same as it was after he was received with love. Then as now, people who find this story offensive tend to be those who never left home, quote unquote. (laughs) They may show up to church, they may serve God with their lips, but their hearts are far from Him, but in their eyes, they never left home. They never squandered their inheritance, they never abandoned their responsibilities. God loves them for that, just as He loved the older brother. The older brother didn't lose his inheritance in this. He didn't lose a blessing. He was just jealous that his brother got a party when he came back home. But God has other children too. He didn't love the older son any less. But sometimes we make horrible mistakes. We take foolish risks. We waste our lives. And God loves us despite that. And he's just waiting for us to come home. And as those of us who are still at home have to have an attitude just like the Father did to love them and to celebrate their return. We're not excusing their lifestyle by celebrating their return. The Father never said, I'm so glad you went out there and wasted everything. I'm so glad you wasted it all. You're, that's awesome. He didn't say that, right? He didn't go that far. He just was really glad that he was home. Because God is so much quicker to restore than we can conceive sometimes. Because again, we're cynical. <laughs> we're flesh and bone. We're, we're fallen nature. So we would just as soon slap somebody than restore them. Right? <laughs> can't believe how stupid you are. Smack! God doesn't do that to us. Psalm 103, 8, verses th- uh, 8 through 13. We're almost done here. Psalm 103, 8 through 13. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, Neither will he keep his anger forever. Okay, the balance is that, yes, God can be angry at us. Especially if our actions are hurting somebody else. God will be angry on behalf of the innocent. But he won't always be angry if we'll come back to him. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. 
That's not fair. (laughs) For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him, them that reverence and trust Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear Him. Yes, sometimes our children, like the Lord, make us repent of having them. Right? Sometimes we have that Genesis 6 moment. I repent of having this child. Right? What was I thinking? And a few minutes later, they're doing something so cute. It's like, oh, it just melt you. All you can do is just grab them and hug them and laugh. Or, thank God they're asleep. And they're so precious when they're sleeping. And that's how the Lord is with us. And, and it helps us to think about it that way because sometimes, especially like the prodigal, it's not so much that we need to think about how, how mad the Lord is at us, but the longer we stay out, the worse we're making it on ourselves. The longer we stay away from God, the more we, the further we go in sin, we're just making our road home harder. It doesn't mean God's going to accept us any less. The length we're gone, the time we're gone, the more sin we commit doesn't inhibit God. It messes us up. So again, it's subtle to think about it differently, but when we're not right with God, we need to think about it like, I just need to get back to God as soon as I can, get restored, so that I don't make more of a mess. <laughs> because as we all know, God's forgiveness doesn't remove all consequences, so we've got to get home to Jesus quick as we can. That's the way I try to think about it. Okay, I need to stop this now before it gets worse. Lord, help me take care of this now. And he does. He does. Because, again, the, the root of the problem is what God's concerned with. Just take, I'm almost done with this little sidebar. But there's totally different consequences. The Lord said if you hate someone in your heart, you, you're doing the same as committing murder. But if you repent of it when you hate them in your heart, you don't have to go to jail. Right? Now, you might get away with murder. That's another story. But if you just... The the reason God says don't even hate in your heart is because if we can stop it there and we take it just as serious as this is going to lead to murder, then we'll stop it there. We'll get right with God. And we'll move on, and we don't have we never murdered that person. We thought about it. Okay? So that's that's God's concern with saving us consequences. He'll forgive us if we murder him, but we're still going to deal with consequences, right? He'll forgive us if we hate him in our heart, but repent. He'll forgive us if we murder him and repent, but it's much better to repent when we just have problem in here. Does that make sense? 
So approach it different. Think about it different. Let God take care of it when it's smaller. Finally, number three. And this one's going to be real short, okay? God's love is not lacking. Okay, we've said it's not earned. It's not fair. And it's not lacking. So understanding these things about the love of God, we should be less cynical. We don't have to be cynical about earning it or not because we just need to understand. We can't. Just deal with it. It's not earned. Quit trying to figure out what's fair or not. It's not fair. God said He'll do it. He'll do it. And finally, we don't have to be cynical that someone else is getting blessed because there's enough to go around. It's not like we're not going to get something because somebody else did. God's love is not lacking. John 3, 16 through 17, For God so loved the world, and God loved the world, the whole human race, all of mankind. He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. See, the problem is, the enemy knows how to attack us in, in our vulnerabilities, our weaknesses. As, as a people of God who are trying to live holy and separate, he knows that there is a tendency, if we're not careful, to be jaded about the condition of the world as we're trying to live separate and be like Him. And that we can easily flip into an attitude where we start condemning the world instead of seeking to save the world. Does that make sense? Instead of looking people at their lifestyle, how horrible it is, and saying, God help me to reach them so they can be saved, we get the attitude where we're just looking at how bad they are. And we lose the belief that maybe they can be saved. Obviously, that's between them and God. But we have to at least be open to hear. Like Peter, have to see the sheet come down and the Lord say, don't call unclean what I've cleansed. I can save them. You may not be able to comprehend it right now, but others couldn't comprehend it about you. (laughs) If they would have saw you in your condition, they may not have wanted to witness to you. So we have to change our approach. We're not here to condemn the world and be cynical. Yes, we're going to be vexed by unrighteousness. We should be. There's a lot of unrighteousness that should bother us in our world. But we can't allow it to make us condemning of the world standing for righteousness yes seeking to be separate yes trying to please God and live a holy life that's going to be different yes but not in a way that's condemning towards anyone but in a way that says this pleases God and he wants to save you as well he loves you too Christmas is about wonder It's about the miraculous. 
God's love is not lacking toward us. It changes everything. Cynicism says, I doubt. And wonder says, I can't hardly believe it. But I'll receive it. We can stand tonight. Appreciate being a good amount of people here in our Bible study tonight. For all those listening on the internet, we've got about 350 here tonight at this service. See, they don't know any better. (laughs) See, hear the applause. 350 people here clapping to the Lord. (laughs) Counting the angels. Maybe. You never know. So, but I'm just, I'm teasing a little bit about how many people are here because they can't see. Just teasing a little, so. Don't be cynical, Kylie. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. The problem is my humor is so corny it doesn't make sense to it sometimes, so. What? But, but the Lord is good. And we are in a season of There may be a lot of crazy stuff going on, but we can still have excitement. We can still be in wonder of what God's doing. Amen. So let's just pray and ask the Lord. Go with us. Lord Jesus, we're thankful for this time together tonight for everyone who's here.